0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Bandroom Podcast. My name is Dylan Maddox, and we've made it to June. Congratulations, everyone. And welcome to the start of Season 3 of the Bandroom Podcast. Not really the way I envisioned starting Season 3, but looking forward to sharing nevertheless. As promised, in an effort to provide bandies with more resources as we head into an uncertain fall, today's episode will be exploring ensemble teaching strategies as we enter this new age of COVID-19. Hopefully a temporary age of COVID-19. But before we get to all of that, Please do me a huge giant favor and head over to iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to find podcasts like this one and give the Bandroom podcast a rating and a review. This will really help others find this podcast. It's been almost 4 months of living in this new world of maintaining 2 meters of distance between each other or maybe you prefer to think of a trombone slide's length between each other. Hundreds of Zoom meetings, feeling like we're looking at the cast of The Brady Bunch, or maybe trying your best not to touch your face, even though you've had an itch above your right eyebrow for the past five minutes. During this time as music educators, we've done a marvelous thing. We very quickly changed a giant part of our curriculum to online delivery, a feat not to go unnoticed. That being said, like me, I'm sure there are many of you that feel that it was a quick fix, It was a band-aid, and we can serve our students a lot better in the fall. So today, we'll explore some of the factors that are involved in ensemble teaching in this new age of COVID-19. We'll go through these factors in the following order. I know many of you have been in hundreds of Zoom meetings to talk about the problems, and you're probably sick of hearing about the problems of teaching remotely, face-to-face, or a hybrid of the two. But I think it's a good starting point before we start talking about the solutions, Personally, it it seems that every new meeting I enter with colleagues, there's a point that I forgot about, or maybe the full weight of the problem hadn't hit me yet. So maybe this will happen for you today. Secondly, we'll think backwards and lay out the learning outcomes of being in an ensemble, seeing what our students learn from participating in our ensembles and how we might change the model, and maybe realizing what our real goals are to achieving these outcomes and what outcomes are truly important. And finally, what you've all been waiting for, we'll talk about some solutions of how we can achieve the stated learning outcomes and and how we might need a bit of a mindset change when it comes to approaching ensemble teaching this fall. Let me preface everything by saying the purpose of this episode is to share ideas with you for the fall. They might not work for you. You may even have a different opinion, believe it or not. And you know what? That's fine. That's totally fine. I must also mention that I teach in post-secondary institutions, so what works for me might not work for you, or it might need a bit of a change in, in how you approach it. That being said, I'll, I'll also try to do my best to reimagine how ideas would work in the school system setting. And no surprise here, but I am not a medical expert. So if you're looking for those kind of answers, you're still going to have to wait for those dang old studies to come out, including several prominent ones from the University of Colorado at Boulder, Colorado State University, Rice University in Texas, and the University of Maryland. They're all looking into aerosol production from wind instrumentalists. Trust me, I know how tiring it's been waiting for this research to come out, but we must be patient when pursuing the truth. Our students' safety and our safety is of utmost importance. So, do you want the good news or the bad news first? I'll I'll I'll, I'll choose for you. We're going to talk about the bad news. And I promise I'll try to make this as short and painless as possible. I've split these problems into two categories, face-to-face and remote. I chose not to categorize anything into the hybrid category as I feel that the problems stated in face-to-face and remote will lend themselves to hybrid. It is totally highly probable that I have missed some, so please bear with me and understand that we are all in different locations and we all have different problems when it comes to this teaching in COVID-19. But let's start with the ideal perspective, at least from a performance standpoint, face-to-face delivery. When we think about face-to-face problems, I think probably the first guiding thing that will affect us the first factor that will affect us is government regulations of how many people are even allowed indoors with proper social distancing in place we've been talking a lot about chamber music and how that might work but without these numbers it's kind of impossible for us to know say that we are granted our full ensemble numbers what a dream that would be we probably don't have the space for it the spaces aren't big enough to maintain proper social distancing One of the big recommendations that comes out is most spaces used for face-to-face teaching will need two exits to cut down on traffic, say if you have a new class coming in and a class leaving. Not every music room has proper airflow and ventilation. I know this is something that we're looking at at the schools that I'm at um, and making sure that we can get clean air in and bad air out. The idea of sharing instruments has become a real problem for the fall, as it's been recommended that each student has their own instrument. And as lovely as that sounds, maybe your school doesn't have enough funding for each student to have their own instrument, let alone their own mouthpiece. If we do end up sharing instruments, how do we have enough time to clean and disinfect the instruments? Maybe we have to wear masks when we play. How will that affect sound production? And it might not be a mask that, you know, that fully covers your mouth. It might be a face shield of some kind, but how will that affect things? A lot of people have been saying one of the answers for our performance fix, is chamber music, chamber music, chamber music. And I couldn't agree more, actually. However, how does a beginning band teacher approach this when they're more maybe concerned with getting the reed onto the clarinet and where the fingers go and all of these things? We also end up going back to that old space issue. If you have to run a whole band's worth of chamber music ensembles, where do they go We can't really use practice rooms the way that we did before, and we need to be in these large spaces. How do we have time to run all these groups? Do you have a secondary teacher that would be able to help with those kind of things? Because supervision is a real problem as well. In some cases, depending on your school board or the level you teach, student leadership won't really be an option. In the remote world, students' internet connection is a real problem. Some students will have a great connection, and of course, as many of us have learned during this process, many students have slow connections. And that might be because of where they're located. That might be because of the number of people they have in their household using the internet at any given time. I know personally, I've blamed many students for rushing, when in reality, it's just the internet slowing down and then speeding up. Another possibility in the remote world is this whole live internet performance thing. And I know that we see these videos with all the squares and the students' heads playing their parts, and it kind of looks like it was done live, but it's been highly, 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 highly edited. And I know there's a number of softwares and programs out there that are saying they can you know, speed up that latency so there's less of it. Um, and one of them is, is Lola, and we've talked about this actually on this podcast with Jason Kassler. So rather than me trying to explain the issues of live internet performance i think it would be better to listen to him so specifically here he'll be talking about lola which is a low latency high quality audio video transmission system for network musical performances and interaction so here's jason kassler
1: the other program is called lola which stands for low latency and it's a thing that was developed in italy mm-hmm. and it runs over internet to which is like this dedicated, I always describe it as it's like it's like driving on the 401 with nobody on it. Right. You can drive as fast as you want. So the information travels back and forth. So like last year leading up to the conference, we were premiering um, a new work by John Mackey mm-hmm. that had a singer, Lindsay Kesselman, who actually lives in North Carolina.
0: Right.
1: So she was there 1,800 miles away, and we did a two-hour rehearsal with her. Okay. she was up on the screen right. there was no delay zero Zero delay. so they did a full rehearsal right? which is amazing I mean it's always better to be in the room with oh, the yeah. people but what was great is two weeks later when she came for the quote unquote first rehearsal there was already a level of comfort the right. group already knew how she was going to do a bunch of phrasing tempos rubato all that stuff was already kind of baked into it mm-hmm. so it wasn't like we were just having to get to know her again once once she was in the room we just they just they just dove in. Right. It was it was cool.
0: Okay, yeah. yeah. I mean, this can, can can be applied to rehearsals, but I assume in our field, uh, do you have ideas of being able to do, like kind of like band clinic work? From-
1: the band clinic thing was, is is on my radar. What we're using it right now primarily is we're working with a, a school district in Phoenix and and doing master classes. So like our trombone professor has he's done one for us where he's like he's in my office. Looking at ten trombone players from several high schools, working oh, wow. with them simultaneously. Now they're only twenty-five miles away, but you take traffic. Like it's it's instead of you know, Dr. Edwards comes across the street. Right. In the course of an hour, he can connect with those ten kids. It's more like a three to four hour commitment by the time you drive there, and yeah. I. So. Wow.
0: Yeah. And it, it, how far into the future well, do you think this will be kind of readily available to?
1: It's going to be interesting to see because it, it needs, like, it needs a lot of bandwidth. Okay. Like, it has to have like one gigabyte speed of internet. So, like, most people's houses don't have that. So, right. you have to be at an institution that has that. Yeah. You need the computer that runs fast enough. You need the the software is free, mm-hmm. but you also have to be a bit of a geek right. to get it all hooked up. So, it's it's still not it's not a plug and go thing. Right. It might get there. And I mean, I, I did a presentation on it at a conference last summer, and a lot of people are interested in it. And so maybe we need to get more people on it, so that it becomes more of a community where it's like, great, right. we're going to do a thing with Illinois today, or wherever, Florida, yeah. and and it becomes just a a thing, just like everyone does Skype rehearsals now. Mm-hmm. Whether that's whether it's going to take off or not, yeah. the next couple of years. Well, we'll this, determine is that. this is going to launch it, man. There it is, right now.
0: Random podcast you must have at least 20 people to it's gonna be at least so, so you know <laughs> i don't know about you but at the beginning of all this pandemic fun student engagement was a big problem how do we get our students engaged when they spend their whole day staring at a computer screen when they spend their whole day listening to our voices through headphones not everyone has space To record to play in be it an apartment or a townhouse i know this is a problem that even i face let alone students not everyone's family be it parents or siblings are supportive of students practicing or playing in the house so where are they going to go how can they get this done not everyone will have access to means of a proper and adequate microphone how can they get their hands on that kind of equipment how do students with larger instruments play How do we get them to them? Can they fit in their house? All of these problems, be it a percussion instrument, be it a double bass, maybe even a piano. Creating a virtual ensemble performance is a super cool project, and it gives us all of the good feels. But is it really ensembling? We'll talk more about that later. And Zoom fatigue is a real thing. And guess what? We aren't the only teachers asking for their online attention, so it needs to be something that we really pay attention to. And of course, a plethora of other problems, both in the face-to-face and remote teaching worlds. So I'm not going to be able to give answers for all of these problems, but it's important for us as teachers to know that they exist and know that whenever we're speaking to students and maybe when we're about to get angry at a student for passing in a late assignment, one of these situations is one they live in. As mentioned before, I think it's best if we take a bit of a backwards approach to finding solutions for the fall. It has become apparent that many of us are trying our best to fit our circle-shaped pre-COVID-19 ensemble model into the triangle-shaped hole that COVID-19 has left for us. And it's not going to work. Every time we try, we just get disappointed. So let's break down what we've learned from playing in an ensemble. I'll start with individual playing skills, pitch, playing in tune, not with other people, but just playing in tune with yourself, rhythm, the ability to read rhythm and execute it, articulation, the clarity of that, the variation of that, the consistency of that, for wind instruments, breathing and blowing, phrasing, options and choices for phrasing, meter, mixed meter, asymmetrical, metric modulation, extended techniques on your instrument, balance, Matching volume, blend, matching tone. Ensemble skills, so now playing with other people. We're able to hear and respond to the sound around you. Technical skills, this might go under the actual individual section, but fingerings, articulation, tone, pitch, intellectual understanding of the music that we're playing and what we're doing uh, with our colleagues. Once again, balance and blend make a return. Matching volume with your colleagues, matching tone with your colleagues, adaptability, applying and maintaining changes made in rehearsal. So that will probably come from us asking for those kind of things, of course. Oral skills, listening and responding, matching pitch, singing. Guess what? Balance and blend come back again. Recognition of melodic material, awareness of the baseline, and awareness of harmonic motion, both horizontal and vertically. And being mindful, just remembering to listen. This one really involves us this this these outcomes but conductor interaction reading and responding to gesture and turning physical gestures into sound eye contact when needed anticipation of information responding versus reacting maintaining focus during those long rests i know if you're a brass player or maybe a percussionist you have suffered the most from the long rest fatigue matching style to cues responding to in-the-moment adjustments that maybe that we're giving to the, to the students. One aspect of being an ensemble has nothing to do with performance at all, but it might be the extra musical context, like history, social context, cultural context for the specific repertoire that you're playing, history, sense of the wind band medium, awareness of important historic composers and contemporary composers, awareness of the state of diversity and equality in music, being performed, and just general programming things that happen in band classes and being in ensembles. A stylistic understanding is also a big learning outcome that we give, be it articulations per the era or the composer, dynamics for the same reasons, and other interpretive choices, be it ornamentation or in Baroque music or anything else like that. Ensemble culture, understanding one's role as a section player or as a leader, sense of ensemble, What is it to collaborate musically? Teamwork—that's that's that's our big selling point for being ensembles, isn't it? Etiquette: how not to be that player, and preparing for rehearsals is also a a wonderful learning outcome that we get from being in ensembles. Working towards a unified artistic goal, acting as one one band, one sound. That's my favorite movie, and this is also one that's pretty attainable when we think about. remote teaching but the theoretical understanding music theory meets music fact so learning about the form of a piece through playing it an ensemble the harmony cadences modulations scales phrasing and the list could go on further let's not forget about maybe the most important outcomes of all the sense of community that we offer the simple pleasure of players talking to each other before and after rehearsal I know this is something my students greatly appreciated uh, when all of this COVID stuff started happening. Just the act of being able to meet on Zoom, it gives us a sense of we're all in this together. Sorry for the high school musical quote, um, but we're working for a common purpose. The reason I, I named this podcast The Band Room is because it's a safe place. It's a place for people to come together, to be themselves. And I know that is a place that The Band Room is for many people. For some students, being in an ensemble is the only happy part of their week. It's where they have community, it's where they have music, and it might be the only support they have in their life. When we hear the learning outcomes laid out like this, we see that the performance aspect of being in band is not the end-all be-all. Trust me, I realize its importance, but I also realize the place we are now is not forever. My friend and July's bandroom guest, Pete Meakin, said it this way. The joy of making music doesn't include performance for everyone. So many creative ways to discover the love of music. It doesn't just have to be in the classroom doing band. This is a time and an opportunity to really look at the many ways of teaching music, and most importantly, of inspiring a love for music. And it's with that in mind, we will start talking about the solutions. I think generally, many of us know what's best for our band class, or at least we have started thinking of maybe some ideas, but we should go to those being directly affected. Personally speaking, I initially assumed a lot of students wouldn't want to participate in an ensemble if we were doing remote activities, but I was actually pleasantly surprised when I sent out a survey. Uh, the majority would love to come back. The opportunity for community, as we discussed before, being the biggest factor. Ask them if they have any ideas. What are the most important ensembling factors for them? Who knows? Maybe you'll learn something from your students. An excellent survey can be found on the CBDNA COVID-19 Response Committee report from the University of Minnesota And I'm happy to share my own survey questions as well, both of which will be found in this episode's show notes. So yeah, before we talk about real solutions, I think it's important that you talk to the people being affected. Chamber music, chamber music, chamber music. It's been said a thousand times. When trying to maintain some degree of face-to-face performance component, it will be highly unlikely that the large ensemble model as we know it is going to be achievable. Even if granted to meet in full ensemble numbers, our facilities won't be able to hold us with our socially distanced methods in place. Although, if you want to see what this could look like, you need to go check out the West Point Band's article on COVID-19 risk mitigation for large ensembles. Everyone two meters apart, with plexiglass walls separating, and they even provide a detailed document explaining the materials and dimensions used to build these plexiglass barriers. Since the large ensemble model won't be available to us, we turn our focus to chamber music. And it sounds easy enough split your group up, right? That's it? Well, it does get a little complicated. In my case, as someone who teaches post-secondary, this is relatively easy. I can split up the group, spend some time coaching one group while a student leader works with the other group. However, this isn't a luxury that everyone has. When we consider elementary, junior, and high schools and the thought of leaving students by themselves, you may run into school board problems, needing a teacher or some kind of supervisor in the room with the students. There's a useful article uh, that the National Association for Music Education uh, put out in 2015 about how you might go about allotting time for chamber music and some supervision ideas as well. Dr. Eugenia Goldman suggests some ideas that are doable, and maybe some that aren't. So keep in mind that this was written pre-COVID. She says, Designate one day per week for chamber music in a large space such as an auditorium, a large classroom, or even a gym for splitting up uh, your ensemble into smaller groups. This arrangement will allow one teacher to keep an eye on all of the groups and walk between them and address any issues. Of course, this might not be doable, and we'll probably be needing to do it more than one day a week. Um, and of course, there's the obvious acoustic problems of having you know four, five, ten groups in a space um, making sound. It's going to get quite complicated. Um, in a team teaching situation, one of the teachers uh, can take some students into a different room, or a hallway, or whatever it is. Occasionally, allow uh, the maybe. Your student leadership, when possible, um, can coach one of the groups while you're coaching another group. Uh, run rehearsals before and after school, finding time during the day, maybe it's their lunch time. Encourage students to treat chamber ensembles as an independent project and meet outside of school time. And I realize the problems within those solutions. But at least it gives us maybe some ideas about how we might approach making chamber music work within the confines of COVID-19. As I read for you, scheduling is going to play a huge role in making chamber music work. Making sure different groups are able to enter and leave rooms safely and leaving adequate time for cleanup so you can disinfect whatever you need to disinfect. I know at my schools, we're developing a very detailed schedule, making sure we have the minimal amount of traffic happening in the department at any one time. The other concern that has been brought to our attention is repertoire, as not every school ensemble will be able to be nicely split up into woodwind quintets or percussion ensembles or brass quartets, and the list, of course, can go on. Certainly, if, if you have the people to split up into those kind of conventional ensembles, you should do that because you'll have plenty of rep to choose from. However, as mentioned before, this won't work for everyone. In one of my ensembles, actually, there's the potential, it's not official yet, but there is the potential that they'll be split up by year. And this creates some pretty funky instrumentations. One possibility being flute, tenor sax, trombone, and, and two, percussion. And the last time I checked, there's not a whole lot of stuff written for that instrumentation. So this is where the flex band repertoire, or adaptable repertoire, or my favorite instrument fluid repertoire come to good use. This certainly isn't a new idea, as this concept has been around for a very long time. Everyone remembers those mixed bag wind ensemble arrangements, pieces by Bach and Purcell, Haydn, and more. However, this is a real opportunity, and I encourage you to explore original works for adaptable band or ensemble. Just because we go the flex band route doesn't mean we need to sacrifice our standards and select music of less musical merit, and I'm sorry to go all Batiste on you. In the band world especially, we are immensely blessed by composers stepping up and creating flex versions of their works, or maybe they're creating new works with flex in mind. Composers like Alex Shapiro, Pete Meekin, Kate Nishimara, Frank Kelly, Omar Thomas, Jennifer Jolly, and more are leading the charge to provide our students with creative and quality repertoire. One such place you can look is the Creative Repertoire Initiative Facebook page. This is a place for composers to provide information about their music for Adaptable Band, and for band directors to learn about these works. It's also become a community landing spot that hosts conversations about ensemble needs, crowdsources ideas and solutions, and introduces composers and conductors to each other. Not to mention, there's been lots of talk through this initiative about composers writing music that can be played over Zoom or whatever platform you're using. The latency issue doesn't need to be feared. It could be embraced. If you have a favorite composer who currently isn't creating adaptable repertoire, don't be afraid to reach out. Maybe they can quickly adapt something that you love in their catalog, or, or even cooler, maybe they can create a new work for your ensemble. Keeping in the same area, composition isn't something that only adults do. Remember all those great composers that I listed? They all started somewhere, and so why not explore composition deeper with your students this year? And if you think about it, we check off a lot of boxes on our learning outcomes list by teaching composition to our students. And what a wonderful tool of expression it is. Many of us might already have a composition component in our curriculums. I know I did when I was in high school. However, some might not due to comfort level, maybe the time that you have, assumption that you don't have enough background in composition and so on. And know that that's all okay. You don't need to be the Natalie Boulanger of composition teachers. Start simple. One or two chords of maybe a full progression. Give them a framework. Everyone remembers those nightmare counterpoint exercises we were forced to do in university. Or maybe you let their creative minds loose and create something without a framework at all. Our students can compose for chamber groups that you put them in, and they even have the opportunity to test their ideas out oh yeah, that note doesn't exist on the bass clarinet. Or maybe, you know, I messed up the horn transposition again. It's all great. It's all learning. This idea is also easily translatable to a remote situation. There are plenty of free notation softwares that are easy to use and user-friendly. Or maybe you're lucky enough that you can provide Sibelius or Finale to your students. I'll provide some links of possibilities in the show notes. These student compositions also don't need to be a symphony's length. I've been very lucky to be part of a collective of Canadian post-secondary band directors during these crazy times, and we've been talking a lot about involving our composition departments to compose micro-compositions for our ensembles, one- to two-minute pieces that allow students to learn and experiment and for our band students to play this can also easily be done remotely if necessary, and there are ample opportunities to use electroacoustical elements. Alex Shapiro has done a lot of great work in this realm, and uh, a lot of her compositional templates can be found on the Creative Repertoire Initiative website, along with resources from Frank Kelly, Julie Giroux, Stephen Bryant, and Brian Balmages. I don't know about you, but with Being forced to use video conferencing software, I've become more social than I probably ever have been. This has opened our eyes to being able to have really great remote guests in our classes. Why not invite a composer to help get your class started on this compositional adventure? They offer a great deal of knowledge and inspiration to our students. Let me also remind you that most composers are freelancers, and just like many, have taken a huge financial hit during the pandemic, and we have a real opportunity to help. This idea also lends itself to professional performing musicians. Invite in a local professional to speak about their musical experiences, or maybe their instrument, or the path that they took to get to where they are. If you can't go local, the world is now your oyster. Well, it's kind of always been your oyster, but now we realize the possibility of remote guests. These experiences serve as real musical inspiration that will last a lifetime. And the same thing here. We have a great opportunity to help our freelance colleagues during this time of canceled live performances. One of the performance possibilities that has been talked about as an ensembling replacement is the virtual ensemble, so I'll spend a little bit of time talking about it. This idea was made famous through Eric Whitaker's virtual choir projects, putting together thousands of videos of singers from around the world, creating a beautiful recording of sleep or cloudburst. Every time I go on Facebook, I see a new virtual ensemble video, and they're a lot of fun to watch and certainly a great end of year project for your students. It gives us all the feels like we're in this together, look what we made, and it gives our students and us a performance goal. However, if we're comparing it to a real ensemble experience, which I hear many people doing, we quickly realize that very little actually has to do with those ensemble learning outcomes that we talked about Students are provided with their part that they need to record, given a metronome marking. And of course, we always remember that not all metronomes are created equal and that lends itself its own issues. Or maybe yet, you give them a click track, which is better, or better yet, you provide a very high quality pre-existing recording with a click track in it. Then all those videos are sent to you, or maybe you're lucky enough to hire a real engineer to do all that editing and mixing. And then we have the final product. So here is one of the highest quality remote recordings that I've heard. And it's from our friend Jason Kassler and the ASU Wind Ensemble performing Scott McAllister's More Cowbell. The first time I heard this, I actually thought it was a recording of a previous live concert, but after speaking with Jason about the recording, he told me that it was remotely done and that his colleague Dr. Justin Hubbard spent 10 hours per minute of music editing and lining things up. And that's not even considering the video editing. So why am I rambling on yet again about the virtual ensemble? I think it's a really valuable tool for the reasons that I stated before. But we must realize that it's not the product that is of most importance here. It's the process. The time you spend having students play for you, giving feedback either synchronously or asynchronously, the opportunity for students to be critically thinking about what they've produced and what they've heard. So when doing projects like this, make sure that the end result isn't the focus, but let the process lead. The other thing we need to remember about the Virtual Ensemble Project is that We can still be creative with it. The final product doesn't need to look like another intro to the Brady Bunch. Maybe you have a student in your ensemble who has an interest in visual arts or video production. Maybe this is the perfect opportunity for you to partner with your school's visual art department, or a dance studio in town, or local artist. These videos can be opportunities to share a story and not just another virtual performance of a piece. One of the most wonderful things that has happened during this pandemic, and I I can't believe I just said that, is how everyone has come together, sharing their ideas, creating resources, and providing studies so that we can make informed and safe decisions. I don't know about you, but now more than ever, it really feels like I'm drowning in resources. They've just turned the fire hose of banned resources, and we have to listen to everything. So so many studies to read, so many people saying they have the solutions, and I, I put myself into that category, so I'm, I'm sorry for that. Or maybe ideas you haven't thought of. And sometimes, it not sometimes, actually all the time, it becomes overwhelming. Hard to tell what's good and what's bad. So I've put together a list of some trusted resources and reports that might help cut down that clutter. The first one I'll talk about is the CBDNA COVID-19 Response Committee Report, as it's one of the most thorough documents released since the pandemic began. It helps guide you through health and wellness considerations, space issues when it comes to social distancing, programming ideas, and a number of assignment ideas for whatever situation you find yourselves in, be it face-to-face, hybrid, or remote. The other reason this document is so valuable is because of the brains behind it, trusted voices in our profession. This and many of the resources I'll share with you are living documents and will be periodically updated. The other one is the Ontario Music Education Association Framework for Music Classes During COVID-19 which is much like the cbdna document but it also gives many wonderful ideas that might be more applicable for elementary junior and high school lessons it also brings many 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 resources cleanly and neatly and clearly into one place lots of documents to support music education advocacy in schools which is a fight that We are really going to have to fight this year, and especially here in Ontario, after the education minister made an announcement this week, it's become increasingly important that we use these music education advocacy pieces. Another one, which is probably most recent, uh, is another kind of guideline framework that I'll recommend. It is the Fall 2020 Guidance for Music Education, and this is from the National Federation of State High School Associations and the National Association of Music Education. This document does a wonderful job at offering solid ideas for starting beginners during this time, including, maybe the most important part of all, student instrument selection, as well as many more ideas for you to consider as you plan out your fall. I know I've mentioned it before, but if you haven't already, you must, 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 must must look into the work that the Creative Repertoire Initiative is doing. CRI is a collective of composers and conductors committed to creating adaptable music for ensembles in the coming academic year and and beyond. I think we often forget that a lot of this repertoire will be highly useful to schools with maybe not full instrumentation. Their Facebook group is especially helpful and provides a platform and opportunity for you to connect with composers and with other colleagues about a creative approach to teaching the joy of music performance during COVID-19. And I would just like to openly thank um, Robert Ambrose for leading this initiative. As we begin to wind down this episode, let me leave you with some final thoughts. Remember the moment that we are in right now isn't forever. And maybe this year we'll have to pick and choose what is truly important for our students' ensemble education, and either leave aspects out or change the model. I would probably recommend changing the model over leaving things out. From my experience, students don't remember playing perfectly in tune. They don't remember how perfectly they accomplished that forte piano crescendo, my favorite of the band moves. What they do remember is the community that you all created together. They remember the platform for expression that you created for them. Not to be cliche, but what they remember is the power of music and the joy it brings them. I know many of us are looking for an answer, one answer, that will give us some semblance of normal music-making life for the fall. But in truth, we'll find this new but temporary normal through a compilation of the things we discussed today. I'll also remind you to be weary of social media and every article and study that comes out about wind and percussion instruments during COVID-19. Most recently, the controversial Norman Lebrecht came out with an article called, A Full Assessment of the COVID Risk of Playing Wind Instruments. And doesn't it sound fancy? It's a very important article, I think. Hard to read because he gives quite a realistic view of what we know. And that is nada. We know nothing. He reminds us when it comes to solid scientific studies on aerosols, there really hasn't been anything done. He mentioned that there has been, and one of them is a study on vuvuzelas. A lot of the important studies are still yet to come, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast. Something we must keep in mind when we're making decisions that apply to safety of us and our students. So I encourage you to give his article a read, although, ironically, it's not peer-reviewed. During this time, it's really important that we network and speak with people that we look up to in the profession, not only from an advice point of view, but from a community perspective. When the post-secondary teachers started meeting, it was the only Zoom meeting that we really look forward to every week. Yes, because we were able to share ideas, but I think mostly because we realized that we're all going through the same thing. And this is, you know, the power of commiseration. Meet with other teachers on your school board. This might also help the whole idea of sharing instruments, because maybe someone has, I don't know, a tuba or a bassoon that they aren't using that you can borrow for the year. Maybe you can get in contact with an old post-secondary, I don't mean old, I mean former post-secondary professor uh, that you looked up to. Maybe it's someone in the the industry, maybe it's a mentor, but don't be afraid to share. We can brainstorm together and we can really help each other out. Because remember, no one has gone through this before and we can really learn from each other. I'll end my COVID talk with this. Right now, we're all going through the seven stages of grief, beginning with shock that this is even happening, maybe it's followed by denial that it's happening, we're bargaining that we can do our old regular thing, we feel guilty about the situation that we're in and our students, angry about it, and maybe we're even depressed about it. These are all regular parts of the process, but eventually, and most importantly, we need to get to acceptance and hope. And the sooner we do this, the better. We now move to this month's featured composer, Omar Thomas. Described as elegant, beautiful, sophisticated, intense, and crystal clear in emotional intent, the music of Omar Thomas continues to move listeners everywhere it is performed. Born in Brooklyn, New York to Guyney's parents, Thomas received his Bachelor of Music in Music Education from James Madison University and his Master of Music in Jazz Composition at the New England Conservatory of Music in 2008. He is the protege of lauded composer and educator Ken uh, Shaphurst and Frank Kalberg, and has studied under multiple Grammy award-winning composer and bandleader Maria Schneider. Thomas also contributed horn arrangements to Diana Reeves' Grammy Award-winning album Beautiful Life, and most recently, he received the 2019 William D. Reveille Award for the National Band Association for his piece come Sunday. This 2020-2021 academic year, Mr. Thomas will join the faculty of the University of Texas Austin Butler School of Music as Assistant Professor of Composition. To celebrate Pride Month, we look at Omar Thomas's A Mother of a Revolution. And these are his words. The piece is a celebration of the bravery of trans women, and in particular, Marsha Pay It No Mind Johnson. Marsha is credited with being one of the instigators of the famous Stonewall uprising of June 28, 1969 one of the pivotal events of the LGBTQ liberation movement of the 20th century, which is commemorated annually during a worldwide gay pride celebrations. Existing as a trans woman, especially a trans woman of color, and daring to live authentically, creating space for oneself in a transphobic world is one of the bravest acts I can imagine. Over 20 trans women were murdered in the United States in 2018 alone there is no demographic more deserving and frankly long overdue for highlighted heroism and bravery the disco vibe in the latter half of the piece is meant to honor the club culture a sacred space held amongst lgbtq persons in which to love live mourn heal strategize connect disconnect and dance in defiance of those outside forces who would seek to do LGBTQ persons harm simply for daring to exist and take up space. We pump our fists to honor the life, heroism, activism, and bravery of Marsha P. Johnson, to honor the legacy of the Stonewall Revolution, to honor the memory of trans lives violently ended due to fear and hatred, and in honor of trans women worldwide who continue to exist unapologetically and who demand to be seen. This piece was commissioned by the Desert Winds Freedom Band under the direction of Dean McDowell to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Uprising. Here is Omar Thomas's A Mother of a Revolution, performed by the Hodgson Wind Ensemble, led by Dr. Cynthia Johnston-Turner. Thank you so much for spending time with us in the Bandroom today. If you want to learn more about anything we discussed in today's episode, check out the show notes found on our website, www.bandroompod.com, where you can find out more about the articles and resources I've mentioned and the music used for today's episode. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to the Bandroom Podcast and give us a rating and a review and tell your friends, your cousins, your mom, your dad, your aunt, your uncle, how much you enjoyed it. If you really love the show, maybe you should consider donating to our GoFundMe page, helping to offset podcast hosting costs and investments into new equipment so that we can continue to bring you great content and great people. Follow us on our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, to keep up with what's on the go. And if you have any thoughts on today's episode or have ideas for future episodes, leave me a comment on our website or even cooler leave me a voicemail on our new hosting website, anchor.fm slash bandroom pod slash message. Come on back next month when I'm joined by composer extraordinaire, Pete Meekin. Stay safe and be well, bandies. See you next time in the bandroom.